Hey, good morning, Elevate. How are we this morning? Do you like the way these new lights light up my blemish-free complexion? You get to look at me for 25 minutes. Great to be you. Thank you, Brett. Hey, uh, so we're in week two, as Louis mentioned, week two of a new series called Infinite or Infinity. We're going to just mash up the, the two. They're both correct, so there's no uh, fine system in place if you call it one or the other. And uh, it's, it's deliberately a play on the, the word and the symbol for infinity in the sense that, that God is telling one story. God is telling one story. When you read the Bible from cover to cover, God is telling one story. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of God's love for us that's manifest in a way that he wants to be in a direct, personal, intimate relationship with us. And last week, we talked about how that relationship was severed um, by uh, what's known as original sin. And encourage you, as Louis said, go to the podcast if you weren't here last week. Go to the podcast. Have a listen to that because it's the beginning of the story. And it's almost like if you don't understand and haven't read the first chapter, you won't get the full sense of what the next seven chapters look like. Because we're actually going to go chronologically through eight of the greatest stories forever told. And, uh, and each story plays out as something of more of a revelation from the, from the one before of, of who God is and, and what God's done and what God wants to do today. Because the Bible isn't simply a history book. It is a history book, but it's not just a history book. There's a lot that, that, that God intends for us to be able to learn and apply today. In some cases, thousands of years after the story that we're going to be teaching from was actually uh, recorded. Thousands of years after the, the, the actions actually happened. And uh, one of the big challenges that I want to, to put out to you, and, and, and actually something of an instruction for you, if you're, a, if you're a churchy person, if you've been around church, if you've been following Jesus for some time, then my challenge to you and my tip for you is approach these eight weeks as if you've never read these stories before, okay? God's Word is alive and, 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 and it can be fresh and, and will be fresh if you approach these stories like you've never read them before. Now, if you're new to church, if you're just kind of checking Jesus out, checking church out, you actually have a competitive advantage because chances are you're going to hear these stories having never heard them before. So great uh, advantage you have over the long timers that we might have around here. Last week, we, we titled the uh, message, The Worst Greatest Story Ever Told. If you're a note taker, I hope you are. You will have had a title for that. Today, I'm going to give you a title. I don't always do this. Today's title, taken from an internet meme that sparked many other uh, internet memes, is Keep Calm and Carry On. And uh, I want you to jump through to your Bible, Bible app, open that up. Elevate Guest Wi-Fi Network, NBN. Don't all crash it at once. Exodus chapter 13. We're going to take a pretty deep dive into one of the most well-known uh, stories recorded in the Bible. Before I do, I want to give you the backstory. The backstory is God had a chosen people, a chosen people called the Israelites. And uh, for centuries, the Israelites, God's chosen people, had been actually held... In, in slavery, held in captivity by the Egyptians. Who do you think built the pyramids? Who do you think did a lot of the construction work, etc. in Egypt? A lot of that was done by the slaves that the Egyptians had taken captive, who were actually God's chosen people, the Israelites. Now, 
after centuries of slavery, centuries of captivity, God tapped a guy named Moses and said, hey, Moses, I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh. Pharaoh was the king of Egypt. I want you to go and speak to Pharaoh. I want you to confront him, which was just not kind of cool thing to do. I want you to confront him. And I want you to say to him, speak these words, Pharaoh, let my people go. Speak on my behalf and say to Pharaoh, let my people go. Now, there's a whole story around Moses' uh, reluctance to do that. We actually preached uh, and taught a message on that in a series we did earlier this year called Crash the Chatterbox. You can uh, pick that up um, on our podcast as well. But I want to I pick up the story. From, from about that time, Moses had approached Pharaoh, said, Pharaoh, God has a message for you. And the message is simply this, let my people go. And to everyone's surprise, Pharaoh agreed. Pharaoh said, yes. It so happened that after Pharaoh released the people, the Israelites, God didn't lead them by the road through the land of the Philistines, who were the actual enemies of Israel, which was the shortest route. For God thought, if the people encounter war, they'll change their minds and go back to Egypt. So instead, God led the people on the wilderness road, looping around the Red Sea. The Israelites left Egypt in military formation. Now, if you are a bit of a churchy person, you've been around church following Jesus for some time, you might have, uh, unfortunately, heard a few Christian cliches. Now, we don't kind of dig them around here. We prefer to think. And a lot of times people just throw out cliches and don't even think if they're true or not. One cliche, one Christian cliche, some of you might have heard it, is this. God's way is the best way. Anyone ever heard that one? God's way is the best way. Well, here's the thing. I'm not certain that that's always true. Please explain. God's way is the best way. Actually, from my point of view, it depends. It depends on what you value as to whether God's way is the best way. Because here's the thing. If you value comfort and convenience, then God's way isn't the best way. So don't choose it. If you value comfort and convenience. If all you want is the shortest distance between two points, God's way is not the best way for you, if that's what you value. But it's interesting, God said that he didn't take them through the shortest way. And there's a reason for that. Because sometimes the shortest way isn't the best way. Have you, do you ever, have you ever met someone that's lost their patience with God? Got sick of waiting for him to do it his way and took matters into their own hands? You ever been that person? God, you're taking your jolly sweet time. I think I better, you know, assume the role. Sick of waiting, mate. I'm not quite sure if I want to go the longest route. Well, sometimes the quickest way isn't the best way. Sometimes God's way isn't the best way if you value shortcuts, but sometimes the quickest way isn't the best way. God's way isn't always the best way in terms of convenience, but what you're going to see is God's way is always the best way in terms of purpose. There's a purpose for him sending us the long way around sometimes. It's not just because he didn't think there was a quicker way. And sometimes we think 
God taking us the long way around is because he wants to keep us from the promise. But actually, it's often because he knows we're not prepared for the battle in the short term. We're not ready for the battle that we'd have to face to achieve the promise if we were to go the shortest route. So he takes the longest route so that we have time to prepare. So we have time to actually become the sort of people who can win the battle. He took the people around the Philistines because he knew if they had encountered the Philistines going the shortest possible route, would you think, well, the shortest route's going to get us there the quickest? No. In fact, God said the shortest route is going to cause you to want to turn back and not ever get there at all. Thank you, God. God spoke to Moses, tell the Israelites to turn around and make camp at PH, between M and the C. Don't judge me. If any of you want to come and preach the next 20 minutes of this, then you're welcome, but I'm going with the shortcuts here. Camp on the shore of the sea opposite BZ. Pharaoh will think the Israelites are lost. They're confused. The wilderness is closed in on them. And then I'll make Pharaoh's hearts stubborn again, and he'll chase after them. And I'll use Pharaoh and his army to put my glory on display. Then the Egyptians will realize that I am God. And that's what's happened. There's a few observations. There's, there's so many. There's so much stuff that we can learn from this story. Let me, let me shine the spotlight just from this little bit on a couple of things. This is a conversation going on between Moses and God. And what you'll notice if you pay close attention to this little part of the dialogue is there's no mention of strategy. God is giving Moses very clear instructions about what he's ultimately going to do. But apart from telling them to take a little bit of a, set up a little camp here, God gives no clarity on how he's going to deliver the people of Israel. And I've said this before, and I guarantee you I'm going to say it again. One thing we need to engrave on our brains is understand that with God, what always precedes how. And if you're a control freak, and if you need to know the end from the beginning before you'll even take a next step, then God is not the man to follow. Because with God, He doesn't always reveal how before He gives the instruction of what. He doesn't always reveal how when He gives you the instruction of what. He just says, take this next step and trust that I know how and I'm going to deliver. But whilst God didn't reveal a strategy here, He definitely revealed a purpose to put my glory on display so that the Egyptians will realize that I am God. One of the, the constructs that we've fabricated in Western Christianity is that God's main objective for our lives, God's main objective when he works in our circumstances, God's main objective, his main purpose is our happiness. And that's not God's main objective when he's working in our circumstances. God's main objective when he's working in our circumstances to deliver us from captivity into freedom is simply this, to put 
my glory on display so that people will realize that I'm God. Now, God's up for us having better circumstances. God's up for us having joy and peace and happiness, but it's never his main objective because the story's about him. First and foremost, not us. He's the star of the show. All right. Let's carry on. You following so far? When the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, was told that the people were gone, he and his servants changed their minds. Hmm. They said, uh, what have we done letting Israel, our slave labor, go free? Who's going to build the next pyramids? So he had his chariots harnessed up and got his army together. He took 600 of his best chariots and the rest of the Egyptian chariots and their drivers coming along as well. God made Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, stubborn, determined to chase the Israelites as they walked out on him without even looking back. The Egyptians gave chase and caught up with them where they'd made camp by the sea. So they'd made camp when and where God asked them to do. So supposedly part of God's great plan to deliver them from the Egyptians and deliver them into the promised land. And while they're camped out where God said, when God said, the very people that had previously given them permission to go and now chased them down and just about caught them. This doesn't feel like deliverance. The Egyptians gave chase and caught up with them where they'd made camp by the sea. All Pharaoh's horse-drawn chariots and their riders, all his foot soldiers, were there at PH opposite BZ. As Pharaoh approached, the Israelites looked up and saw them. Egyptians! Coming at them, they were totally afraid and they cried out in terror to God. Have you ever looked back and seen something that you thought you'd escaped coming after you again? You thought you'd escaped depression and yet you're back in a season where you're having a pretty dark night of the soul? Have you broken free of an addiction? God seemingly has delivered you from that, and yet in an unguarded moment, that addiction's sneaking up on you, looking to tap you on the shoulder and get back in your life. And the mistake we can make when, when things that we thought we'd broken free from are coming back chasing us again is to assume that we're no longer where God wants us to be. But here we have evidence that you can have what you thought you defeated and been delivered from coming after you while you're exactly where God wanted you to be. Another mistake that we can make in these sort of circumstances is think that fear is a sign that we're not where God wants us to be. And, and by the way, when I went to Bible college, the, the teaching that I got was that if you have faith, you can't have fear. That, that, that fear means you don't have faith and that, it, that, that, that the goal is to get faith so you don't have fear. I'm not sure that's true. Because if I didn't have fear, I wouldn't need faith. It's actually the fear in certain circumstances that drives me even more to depend on God for deliverance. 
It's fear that, fe- that, that, that makes me feel like oh, I'm backed into a corner here. I can't figure this out by myself. So I'm going to need to actually turn even more to God, depend even more on Him, trust even more that He will deliver me. It's not an absence of fear. It's fear is often the catalyst for us to want it, greater dependence on God. So the people, the Israelites, told Moses, I, lo- I love this one. This is, a, this is a classic. Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt? That's great, isn't it? What a great way of saying, you know, like we're all about to die. But I didn't say that. Weren't the cemeteries large enough in Egypt so that you had to take us out here in the wilderness to die? <laughs> what are you trying to say? I think it's pretty clear. What have you done to us, taking us out of Egypt? Back in Egypt, didn't we tell you this would happen? Did we tell you? Who wants to be the leader? Did we tell you? Did we tell you? Did we tell you? Leave us alone here in Egypt. We're better off as slaves in Egypt than as corpses in the wilderness. Now, it would be easy to write this off. They're in this transition period. They've left Egypt with Pharaoh's permission after centuries of slavery. They're headed towards this alleged, supposed promised land, but they're not there yet. They're in this wilderness. Now it's bad enough being in the wilderness in this in-between phase, but now you've got the, the, the enemy that had just said yes to letting you go, who've now changed their minds and are coming after you. It's easy to want to go back. Go back to the familiar, go back to the safe. And, 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 and people say this uh, sometimes, and I've heard it, and you've heard me say that I've heard it, and you've heard me say what I think about when people say it. And it's simply this, people don't like change. And you've heard me say that that is a big load of crap, okay? Many times, and I'll say it again many times. People love change. You love change. If you didn't, you'd still be in primary school. You'd never left. Still be living with mum and dad. Some of you are, 40-something. Just kidding. Here's the, the actual truth. What people, hey. it's, not the, it's not that people don't like change. It's that some people don't like uncertainty and a loss of control. Those, those are the two things. We, we, we cliche that up. People don't like change. Now, people love change when they know what the change is and, and what effect it'll have and, 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 and will have a level of control over how, when, and, and where that change happens. It's uncertainty and a lack of control that, that we don't like. Well, hey, guess what? Israelites in the wilderness, Egyptians coming after them, they are the poster children for uncertainty and a lack of control. So I'm not going to throw them under the bus for, for, for rallying against Moses. I think it's a fair enough response. Were the cemeteries large enough in Egypt? We're going to die here. We're going to die there. It doesn't matter. We're going to die. That's the change we don't like, Moses, this death thing. Well, uh, newsflash, if you're given God control over your life and asked him to be your Lord, you're actually saying, I am putting you in control and giving up my self-appointed right to be in control. And at that point, in terms of our circumstances, 
you've got to be ready to live with uncertainty. Because God doesn't always tell us how. He tells us what. He doesn't tell us how. What always precedes how. Well, that means in terms of how, there's uncertainty. He's promised to deliver the Israelites into the promised land. Egyptians are coming after them. Uncertainty. And here's my encouragement to you. I would rather live in the uncertainty of freedom, trusting that God's in control, than in the predictability of slavery. And that's a choice that we get to make. If you've been following Jesus long enough... I'm encouraging us to read these stories like we've never read them before. This does not look pretty. Like, like freeze frame here in history. If you're the Israelites, this does not look pretty. And, 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 and they're questioning Moses. Fair enough. If you've been following Jesus long enough, chances are you may have thought on occasions that you'd be better off without God. I'm not going to ask you to put your hand up to admit to whether you have or you haven't. But there's a possibility, if you've been following Jesus long, there's a possibility that you may have had an occasion or two where you may have thought to yourself or said to someone close to you, you know what, I think maybe I'd be better off without God. been looking forward to that promotion at your work and you've been busting yourself to prove that you're worthy of the promotion and the guy in the next cubicle who's no interest in God gets the promotion. In fact, the guy in the next cubicle takes the shortcuts and yet I'll be the one trusting God and being patient and doing everything right and acting with integrity. Hmm. Maybe I'll be better off without God. Someone who doesn't follow Jesus and honor him by giving generously. In fact, they don't give anything to anything beyond themselves. Purchasing stuff always seems to have more money than you. Isn't God supposed to bless me? Oh, it seems to be some, somehow this person seems to be getting more blessed. Maybe I'll be better off without God. Because the big revelation here is the people aren't actually questioning Moses. They're actually questioning God. They're not saying, Moses, you let us out here in the wilderness to die. They're actually saying, God, you let us out here in the wilderness to die. There's, there's a fist shaking going on. Why did we listen to you? Why did we trust you? And then Moses spoke to the people. This is one of the challenges of leadership is when circumstances look different to the outcome God promised you, you've got to keep listening to God and standing on his promises and actually oftentimes tell people that even when they don't necessarily believe it or when the circumstances suggest otherwise. And so Moses said, don't be afraid. Stand firm and watch God do his work of salvation for you today. Take a good look at the Egyptians today. 
where you're never going to see them again. That's, that's great. That's great reassurance, right? If it's actually true. But Moses is saying this in, in response to them questioning why in the world they ever left Egypt in the first place. This is the people who are saying to Moses, why did you bring us out here in the wilderness to die? They're not in slavery anymore, but they're not in the promised land. They're in this in-between phase. And a reminder to us is this is not where God wants us to stay forever. God's goal for us is not just escape and survive. God's goal for us is, is escape and move into the promises he's given to us. And Moses is reminding them of that. God's best isn't survival, it's victory. And so he reminded them even further, God will fight the battle for you. And you, your job... (laughs) I love this. This is a great thing for a leader to tell people. Keep your mouth shut. (laughs) God will fight the battle for you, and all you have to do is shut up. Stop complaining. Stop whinging. Stop questioning Him. Start trusting Him. The end. (laughs) When the cemetery's big enough in Egypt, no, God's going to fight the battle, get the victory for you. The end. He's already promised it. You don't believe him. I'm reminding you that it's true. The end. What God said, I say, the end. God will fight the battle for you. The end. Well, that's verse 14. Roll on. Verse 15. God said to Moses, Hey, why cry out to me? (laughs) Oh, my Lord. That's really great. Moses has just stood in front of a million people and told them God will fight the battle for them, and looks away from them, and looks up to God, and says, God, your turn. And God says, why cry out to me? (laughs) Okay. Things are getting a little bit interesting here. Speak to the Israelites. Order them to get me. You're waiting for me to get moving. You think that I'm asleep on the job. Order them to get moving. Hold your staff high and stretch your hand over the sea. When we have uncertainty, a mistake that we can make is standing still. This fear, this uncertainty can sometimes paralyze us. The problem is, these people were on the road to God's plans and purposes, but if you stop moving on the road to God's plans and purposes, sometimes you're going to get run over. 
It's not that you weren't on the right path. It's that you stopped moving. That's the problem. So God tells him, Oi, get moving. See, what we sometimes do is we sit still on the stuff that God's called us to move on and move on the stuff that God's called us to sit still on. It's like a role reversal. There's certain things God said he will do. That's the stuff we can be still about. And then there's certain things God's told us to do. That's the stuff we need to keep moving about. And, and, and it's tricky. I'm not going to pretend it's not tricky. It's tricky. It's like driving an automatic car, which, by the way, you'd think isn't tricky. But here's the problem. It's like driving an automatic car using one foot for the accelerator and the other foot for the brake. That's tricky. Because your brain, don't try this when you leave here today. Your brain can't always figure out which one's which. And, and you'll accidentally sometimes push the accelerator when, when you thought you told your brain to push the brake. And sometimes you'll push the brake when you thought you told your, 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 your other foot to push the accelerator. So don't do this. But this is exactly what God calls us to do, to have a different foot on the brake than we have on the accelerator. But even trickier than that is that God calls us to sometimes have the foot on the accelerator in certain circumstances and the foot on the brake in other circumstances. And, and, and so we'll be moving on the outside while we have a peace on the inside. It's flipping tricky. And the tricky part doesn't end there. It gets trickier. We've got to figure out which is which. I believe I've made my point. But, but God's saying on this particular instance, at this moment, in this, the next step isn't God moving. At this point, the next step, the next step, he's not saying it's the last step. He's not, he's not, he's not saying he's, he's, he's uh, exiting from the role. He's just saying, okay, guys, I've sent you on this journey. The next step is you. Get moving. And Moses, you, I mean, it's just a freaking classic, really. You got 600 of the best chariot riders, clickety-clack, 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 coming at you from Egypt, plus all their foot soldiers and whatever. And, and, and the glimpse here is uh, unarmed people just keep walking. That'll, 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 you know, what a great defense strategy that is. And Moses, see that stick in your hand? Lift it up. God hasn't promised to do anything here in this particular part. He's told them to put their foot on the accelerator. Husbands, some of you, quit asking God to get your wife to fall in love with you all over again, buy a shirt with some buttons on and take her to a restaurant. Quit asking God to give you a promotion while you turn up to work every day and do the bare minimum so you don't get fired. Instead, Ask your boss 
if you could have a meeting and sit down and ask them what they expect from you and then from every day forward consistently over-deliver. Why cry out to me? Quit crying out to God to deliver you into financial freedom if you're still spending more than you earn, not honoring Him and giving to Him. Why cry out to me? You get moving. Next door, 188 Kuyong Road is a property, a place that uh, has become available for purchase and we've put an offer in on that. And, and our strategy, I'll, I'll, I'll talk you up the uh, current state of play, but our strategy, we, we, we launched 40 days of prayer and fasting. Think big, enlarge the place of your tent. We, we launched that, 40 days of prayer and fasting. But you know what? That's not the only thing we did. You know, the real estate agent that's selling the property on behalf of the vendor phones me up. Uh, so you got, you know, I, so I phone him up. Uh, his name's Peter. Hey, Peter, uh, Elevate Church here. We're interested in, in, interested in buying the property. Oh, yeah, great. Um, do you want to, how much do you want to pay? Ah, oh, it doesn't matter, mate. Just praying and fasting. Okay. Uh, you want to maybe, uh, maybe sign the contract? No, 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 no. We don't do contracts. We just pray and fast. Praying and fasting. Yep, that's our strategy, pal. Hmm. Okay, then we engage the uh, services of a finance broker. Phone up the finance broker. Um, okay, good. You, you, you want to get us some paperwork, your current profit and loss statement? You want to... No, no, I don't need any of that. Balance sheet? No, no, no. Cash flow projections for the next month? No, nah, that'd be silly. Business plan? No, nah, we don't have a business plan. Just praying and fasting. That's our business plan. Yep, just tell that to the bank. <laughs> Well, you'll be happy to know that that's not what we have done. Yeah, we're praying and fasting, and that's the faith piece. That's the, that's the piece where actually, for the most part, in that particular, it's about us n- not moving on the inside. It's about us saying, you know, God, we know you'll make a way where there isn't a way. We've done it before. We own the two houses next door. They were purchased long before yours and my time, many of you, with a couple of exceptions, and they were purchased by a group of people at that time who didn't have money but had faith and they went ahead and, and God moved. And so here we are. We don't have excess uh, money lying around at this point in time. But with faith and a vision, we've put an offer on that property. But here's the thing. We've also put a business plan together that we've submitted to the bank. We've also, well, sorry, are about to submit to the bank. We've also put cash flow projections, which we're about to submit to the bank. We're having to... Um, uh, give them all month-by-month profit and loss statements, balance sheets, pages and pages of commentary, working with our accountant to explain. Banks don't understand churches because this doesn't come up regularly on their radar. And, and, and it's incredibly drawn-out process. I thought we'd have our application in two weeks ago. We still haven't put our application in to the bank because of all of the backstory work we're having to do. But that's the point. We're doing all that. We're getting moving on all that stuff. It's brilliant. So just so you know, we're at day 28 of our 40 days of prayer and fasting. Hopefully this week, we'll be formally submitting our finance application to the bank for them to uh, look at and take us very seriously. 
And so I'll let you know how that goes. Um, by the way, you know, when you start praying and fasting, and by praying and fasting, we're, we're saying to God, God, we want you more than this. Coffee, wine, chocolate, sleeping in, whatever it is you're, you're fasting. TVs is quite a number of you aren't fasting from TV for 40 days. It's, it's amazing. And, and, and God works on that. God works through that. That actually is something that we do to get moving. Jesus said it this way, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these things will be added to you. In other words, as we seek God first and his righteousness, he'll actually sneak up on us and throw some blessings out that are actually beyond our wildest imagination, even beyond stuff that we went for. For example, with regards to this house, uh, Debbie DeBlanc, our resident property lawyer, pinged me earlier in the week and said, we might, quali- we might qualify for a tax duty exemption. And if we do, we will save $40,000 on the purchase of that property. Who thinks that's a good idea? Who thinks we should split that forty grand between all of us if that comes through? Woohoo! It's not going to happen, but it would be a good idea from your point of view. So we're praying and fasting about that, and we're getting moving. Debbie and I are working on all of the relevant documentation that we have to submit to the uh, transfer of land, uh, peeps, to get the $40,000 discount. There's some stuff we need to have our foot on the accelerator, need some stuff we need to have our foot on the brake. Don't be lazy, but don't be God. And I don't want to give the end of the story away just yet, but We take the approaching enemy sometimes as a sign that God's allowing them to destroy us. In actual fact, God's setting up shop to destroy them. The closer they get to God's chosen people, the more trouble they're in, not the more trouble we're in, providing we're being obedient. So here's Moses, stick in the air. He still doesn't know why he's got his stick in the air. He's a shepherd. That's his, he's, okay. God says, hold your stick up, mate. Okay, sure. Split the sea. What? How's that going to happen? How's that work? It's just a stick. The Israelites will walk through the sea on dry ground. If we only ever do the things we understand, we'll never live in God's potential for our lives. Faith is about acting on God's instructions, even if we don't know what's going to happen next. See, see Moses gave, uh, God gave Moses a specific instruction, hold your stick up. It came with a promise that the Israelites will walk through the sea, but there's still, Moses had no idea how it was going to happen. But guess what? Here's the deal. What always precedes how? Meanwhile, I'll make sure the Egyptians keep up their stubborn chase. I'll use Pharaoh and his entire army, his chariots and horsemen, to put my... Oh, here it is again. Reminding of the big why. It's not just so that you can have the promised land. To put my glory on display so the Egyptians will realize that I'm God. The angel of God that had been leading the camp of Israel now shifted and got behind them. The pillar of cloud that had been in front 
also shifted to the rear. See, here's what had been happening. As they'd been moving up to that point, by night, there'd been a fire in front of the Israelites, and they just had to follow the direction of that fire. The fire would move, they would follow. By day, it was a cloud. Cloud, cloud would move, they would follow. Now, the Egyptians are getting real close. God's telling them to move forward, and as he's telling them to move forward, he actually removes his direction and, and, and gets in behind them. It's like, this does not feel like progress to me. But the point is, sometimes God will give us direction. Thankfully, in other circumstances, he will give us protection. So he didn't move from in front to behind so they no longer had direction. He moved from in front to behind so now they had a new level of protection. We would say it this way, homies, God's got your back. The cloud was now between the camp. And by the way, they still had to keep moving. Move in the promise even when you don't have the proof. That's a challenge, but that's critical. The cloud, not the one that stores data, uh, was now between the camp of Egypt and the camp of Israel. The cloud enshrouded one camp in darkness, the Egyptians, and flooded the other with light, the Israelites. The two camps didn't come near each other all night. And apologies for the slight low res quality. Here's what happened next. 